I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. <laughs> and I'm Adrian Marie Brown. And I'm losing it. Okay. I'm Adrian Marie Brown. I am Adrian Marie Brown, though. Um, <laughs> you know what's funny is when I'm really scared, I start laughing. And this podcast episode is one of the scariest we've ever offered you guys. So, anyway, I'm Adrian. It's about climate apocalypse. It's That's like, right. totally That's why, about That's why you're scared. I'm like, the end of time. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Um, so, anyway, I'm Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, author of Pleasure Activism, and co editor of Octavius Brood, a black science fiction writer and a black facilitator. Um, living in Detroit. Um, and this is How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast about um, learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. Um, so this is a very exciting show in spite of all the fear Terror. that is coming through it. Um, since we started this podcast, we've wanted to interview the amazing folks at Movement Generation. Um, the Movement Generation Justice and Ecology Project inspires and engages in transformative action towards the liberation and restoration of land, labor, and culture. They are rooted in vibrant social movements led by low-income communities and communities of color that are committed to a just transition away from profit and pollution and towards healthy, resilient, and life-affirming local economies. And organizationally, Movement Generation has been holding so much at the heart of what we need to turn and face right now, and really how we need to be organizing ourselves in terms of the apocalypse that we're currently in. So we're joined today by Michelle Mascarenas-Swan, who is on the Movement Generation Staff Collective and has been on the Movement Generation Planning Committee since 2008. Her core roles with Movement Generation are Just Transition Training and Strategy, movement generation strategy and organizational development, climate workers, and funder engagement. And fortunately for us, Michelle and I are in the generative somatics teaching community. And I have looked up to Michelle basically since the day I met her. I just think she's one of the people in the world who has an outstanding brain and is using it for our liberation. And I often... Um, I have come now to expect that when I sit and, and talk with her, or sit and listen to her, that I'm going to be changed and I'm going to have my, my view on the world expanded and challenged. Um, and it's really exciting. And so um, we, we did our each year, Generative Somatics comes together for teacher training several times a year to develop the body that offers all of the programming we put out into the world. And we have strategic commitments that we're working on, and one of them is really around the climate apocalypse. So in one of our recent teacher trainings, Michelle came to offer political education to our community about what is happening with this climate crisis, the catastrophe. And we are lucky enough that GS is letting us use the audio from that talk as part of our podcast material today. Um, and so then Michelle and I got to sit down and just frame this up a little bit, like who is she coming into the work, who's Movement Generation? And so we just want to offer you the conversation with Michelle and then the talk that she gave, which is just amazing. We hope that you're moved by it, that it changes you, and that you share it with as many people as you can. All right. Hello. Hey, everybody. <laughs> So I am sitting here with Michelle Mascarenas Swan. <clears throat> am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. I love that name, Mascarenas. Well, um, is it Mas? Teach me. It's Michelle Mascarenas. Oh, it's Michelle Mascarenas. Like an Swan with the N. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the N H is like an. This Inye. is how we love each other. Just <laughs> by learning to say our names correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. What we're going to be offering to our audience today is Michelle recently gave a talk to the generative somatics community about the work of Movement Generation, and we have been trying to land an interview with Movement Generation for a while now, um, but time travel makes it all (laughs) difficult. Um, And so we got permission to use the audio of um, of that talk, and then Michelle and I are both in generative somatics teaching community, and so... Um, are grabbing a moment because I just wanted to ask you a few things to help frame this up for people. Um, So the first is, you know, my experience of you is basically like you just arrived in the world fully formed as a complete genius who like has the answers to guide us out of this climate catastrophe and life catastrophe into something 
um, that we could actually survive and that our children could survive. Like, I feel deeply grateful for your work all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested, how did you become you? Like, mm-hmm. when did you get tuned into the fact that this was all happening? Mm-hmm. Where did you start to pick up on, like, oh, these could be some of the solutions? Like, can you tell us a little bit about your journey mm-hmm. to this point? Sure, yeah. Um, so I grew up in the suburbs of Southern California, um, on paved over strawberry and strawberry fields and orange groves, you know, where all the, um, tract homes were named after those things. Right. Um, so I didn't feel like I had a really strong connection to the land or nature really at all. Um, until I, um, fast forwarded to kind of college age and ended up somehow doing a, um, an apprenticeship on an organic farm in the, on the East coast Mm. and, um, really saw both like how messed up the food system was for small farmers, like family farmers who couldn't make it even when they had their own land. Mm -hmm. But then also how, um, how, um, absurd it was that mamas were coming an hour on the train to get organic food for their kids. You know, this was the 90s when the beginning of, like, organic salad mix and Uh um, things like that and the Brooklyn Farmer's Markets. Uh And so really seeing, like, this big gap that was the systems that this, you know, this economy has set up Uh for meeting needs Uh was so wrong on all sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, from that, I began doing work in Los Angeles around connecting, um, small farmers, family farmers with community-based organizations like childcare centers and Head Start preschools and, um, and schools. And, um, and that really brought me to see, to ask this question of how come what we build, um, serve as a tool to actually deconstruct and dismantle uh-huh. these systems and also starve them and, and like block them yeah. from accessing the resources of life uh-huh. you know, so that we can feed something else. That's great. I love that story. And it also makes me curious. I mean, there's so many points along that where I'm like trying to imagine little baby Michelle <laughs> being like, mm. I need to do this next, I need to do that next. Um, But it feels like there's a lot of, um, you know, I feel like what's happening in this moment is like a lot of people have these individual stories of being like, oh, this could be done totally differently and Mm -hmm. should be done totally Mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. And and starting to make that connection between, it's not just pulling it down, it's actually we have to be growing something up that Mm -hmm. allows us to make this transition. So I wanna hear now how you found the crew that you currently roll with, the mm-hmm. Movement Generation crew. Like, mm-hmm. how did y'all, you know, as unique particles in the world all mm-hmm. being brilliant, how'd you find each other? Yeah, I mean, it's true. We all came out of different sectors of mm-hmm. organizing. So some of us were labor organizers or environmental justice organizers or, um, yeah, doing different work, economic justice. And um, we came together around this moment in uh, about 2006, seven. Uh-huh. Um, so it's post Katrina, uh-huh. and our organizers were having conversations in the Bay Area about what did it mean that um, the climate crisis was now like more on our radars, but still our movements didn't really have ways to think about it and understand how are we going to actually step to these moments when our folks are in crisis. Um, And that was kind of the genesis of it. And we brought together a couple folks um, in the beginning. The first conversation was like between Van Jones and Uh Dave Henson, this, Mm -hmm. um, who's the director of the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, which is such a cool guy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, a I feel very like he changed my whole relationship to water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Brock Dolman, who's yeah. there also, yes. um, is is part of the Water Institute up there. Yeah, and they have, along with Kendall Dunnigan and many other folks up there, helped to really root us in a um, ecological systems thinking mm-hmm. um, that also is about uh, how we think about redesigning human communities to be uh-huh. in sync with the living world around us. Mm-hmm. So um, um, it just was like a 
blowing open our minds. Like we, we just yeah. all had seen this edge as a place we wanted to go yes. at the same time. And with, um, and we all had bases of folks that we sort of called into this conversation based on trust. Cause a lot of them were like, what? That's not my thing. I don't yeah. do climate or I don't exactly. think about ecology. Um, and so tenant rights organizers and immigrant rights organizers and, you know, all these folks to try to step to them just based on our relationships. Um, and then that really, you know, catalyzed a whole yeah. conversation that has continued. Yeah. yeah. And so I came to a movement generation training, I think it was like 2011, maybe, or something. Was that, I was that possible? Maybe, maybe, maybe even, even earlier. Maybe it might have been like, oh, nine. Yeah, because or... it was like, I knew, I know. oh, yeah, because I think I was still living in the Bay. So it must have been 2009. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and my experience of it was, um, you know, you come in, it was like over a few weekends. Like, right. it was like a weekend, and then a few months later, a couple, you know, something yeah. else. And so the first weekend is like, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. face reality. Yeah. And, um I remember thinking, you know, and, and like people talk about like, oh shit, you know, this is face reality part that y'all do. But can you tell me a little bit about what your thinking was for the methodology of like, first people need to look at what is, mm-hmm. and then we can start to talk about, you know, solutions. Yeah. Like what was the thinking there? Is that how you still approach it? Yeah. yeah, it is still how we approach it. And I think, um, you know, as organizers, especially, we're so quick to jump to what's the strategy? Uh-huh. What do I need to do to take care of this? Yeah. And um, in a way, it's like like Adrian and I are here at, at a generative somatics yes. conversation, and I've <laughs> learned so much from yeah. how we think about the body uh, and yeah. how we think about our movements. And it's like, what's actually at our backs, yeah. you know? And can we just feel into the the despair, yeah. the grief that yeah. um, humanity does have to actually feel yeah. about the loss of species and the yeah. polluting of water and yeah. um, all of these things, right? Um, in, in order to then step to the strategies from a much more grounded and holistic place, yeah. right? Because it's not just coming from like, what do our campaigns have to teach us right Right. um it's like what do our ancestors have to teach us that's right what does the soil have to teach us um and so that yeah that continues to be our methodology and we we encourage people to go deep and um and feel and i think the the piece that's really critical to that and we get asked this question a lot is like especially young people are having so much despair around being a being alive in this time on the clock of the world, as yes. our, our yes. elder Grace Lee Boggs taught us, right? Um, that it's important to feel the despair, but it's also really important to do that in community with yeah. folks and on land yeah. that can hold us. Yes. So, yeah. I love that. So, what I imagine happening now is probably we'll play the audio for folks, and I want people to really just get to drop in with it. The mainstream definition of the problem is um, climate, the, the, that the carbon in the atmosphere is increasing, right? Because fossil fuels are being extracted from the ground and burned up. Um, and then, so um, have folks heard of 350.org? Yeah. Right? Folks know what that means? Three, 350 parts per million carbon um, in the atmosphere right, carbon dioxide specifically in the atmosphere. Um, uh, and so that's a target that that organization that's um, led by um, Bill McKibben, uh, 350 parts per million is like a kind of a line in the sand that that organization drew in a way um, that um, says we can't burn up any more fossil fuels or else um, the atmosphere is going to not be able to hold anymore, um, anymore, and the and the seas are going to warm, and the, you know all the things that Rachel was just naming are going to continue to accelerate. Um, now, just so people get a sense of um, the pre-industrial level of um, of carbon in the atmosphere is actually was 280 parts per million, and now we're at um, we just hit 415. So take a minute, think about that, and like. 
we actually talk about this in our movements of climate justice as carbon fundamentalism. Because it's really just looking at one tiny little slice of the problem and then lining up all the solutions at that. Like it's like silver bullets. Um, and what are some of the solutions that you've heard um, coming out to, to climate? So Adrian's saying carbon taxes, carbon taxes, the Paris Agreement. Uh -huh. So like global accords of governments coming together and, and setting agreements around how much they can continue to pollute um, and what, on what timelines, right? What else? Solutions to climate, come on, y'all have all heard them. Plant some new trees. Recycle. Buy a Prius. So solar energy. Natural gas. Paper straws. Eat less meat. Nuclear energy. Yeah. Wind. Uh huh. Yeah. Making a transition plan so that coal workers can transition out of those industries. <laughs> Go to Mars, people. Yes. Elon Musk. Elon Musk has a plan, a planet B, right? Um, like, yeah, the Green, the green New Deal, mm -hmm. right? So um, lots of solutions, right? Oh, also, how many people have, um, have bought an airline ticket and you can buy an offset for your carbon pollution, right? Has anyone ever seen that little, little thing on your airline? Yeah. Um, you can do that and then <laughs> ask Alvina all about offsets, how well they work in places like, <laughs> like Richmond. Um, yeah, so it's basically, so you get to go like live fat and fly this airplane across the world while someone else has to like go on a diet, right? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. 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 <laughs> carbon sequestration. Carbon sequestration. There was a billion dollars put into a coal plant in the South um, to create carbon a carbon sequestration coal burning power plant um, so that they would then sequester the carbon that was polluted into the earth. It didn't work. Those companies got hella money, let me tell you. And not just private money, but tax tax credits and all kinds of public dollars to um to that solution also biotechnology right there's all kinds of like we're going to have some biofuels that will be hydrocarbon based rather than um you know than um than fossil fuel based so I, there's lots of lots of solutions actually being put forth um when the problem is defined as carbon in the atmosphere um, yeah, so I think that's like a really important thing to start with is just, and that we need to notice every time we hear climate change, um, is like, how is the problem being defined? Um, and then what are the solutions and who, who do those benefit and who is paying the price? Right. Um, so I would say like a climate, like true climate justice like a front line definition of the problem is actually the system has to change, not the climate, right? There's this whole system change, <laughs> not climate change. Um, and so that the, that we can't just look up into the air, into the atmosphere and count carbon. We have to look down at the places we live and count exploitation. Because it's actually the theft of land and the resources required to meet our own needs as peoples that allowed this system to force our bodies into shit jobs that our peoples never wanted to do to destroy the places we love or the places someone else lived, right? So economy is actually the crisis. Mm -hmm. Right? Economy is the crisis, and it's not a separate crisis of economy, an economic crisis over here, and a climate crisis over there. Right? It's not 
it, yeah, and it's not a it's not separate crisis from the prison industrial complex or from state repression and violence and what borders do to lands and peoples and and rivers, right? Um, so, um, um, but if you didn't watch it, you could see in the in the video that Gopal um, narrates there. Um, you know, the word economy has the root eco, um, which just in Greek means comes from the word echo or oikos, and it just means home. Um, and so you could think of like really um, economy is just management of home. That's actually what the word means. Um, and when we've done this with Native folks, it's really it's beautiful what you just named, Che, and the opening of like how important the storytelling is. Um, we got to um, uh, be part of a Native Alaskan organized um, climate justice camp a couple years ago. And um, the first day was just transition told by the elders. And it was incredible. And I like, I want to like out myself and say like the night before at the dinner and I sat down with one of the elders and I was like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about, you. I didn't really know exactly what was going to happen in the couple days. I just knew we were on day two. And I was like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about just transition. In, in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, you probably don't know what I mean by that. <laughs> right. And like my like colonized mind was like, and this man um, had been working on really just a just transition framework to be able to share um, outside of Native communities for decades and decades and decades, you know? And, and that's what they shared on day one. And it was like hours and hours and hours of like just listening, listening to the stories, right? listening to the stories of people rooted in place for generations and what the sacredness of that um, had meant to their worldview and um, and what it would mean to protect those places. Um, so the motto of um, the environmental justice movement, um, I think, is one of the things that like moved me to do this work. Is like no decisions about us without us, and we as humans can say that. Right, like we can speak it out loud, but all beings have that right. Right, no decisions about us without us. Right, the river has a right to run free. The beavers have a right to build a dam. Right, um, the yeah, I, like we could go on and on. Right, um, and there's whole sets of like I like I want us to actually. At some point, it would be fun to do some like principles of ecology and how they relate to somatics and 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 bodies, right? Um, and specifically around queer ecology, which the Queer Ecology Project is amazing. Like, there's just incredible richness. And when we think about like nature, actually abhors a category. Nature does not categorize. Like, you're a this, and you. <laughs> you know, you have sex only like that. Like, that's bullshit, right? Um, so understanding across living systems what diversity and difference and all of that brings and generates to systems, um, not that we could ever understand it, but but seeing it, naming it, believing it, and holding it sacred, right? That's like actually at the root of how we need to be moving. So, um, so this no decisions about us without us, um, I think is like a really critical motto to keep in mind. Um, and right now, like the management of home, the way this economy works has almost nothing to do with observation, reflection, regenerative action, permission, consent, repair, healing, and a scale and pace necessary for any of that, right? Yeah, 
so as a result, the key crisis is actually the crisis of life. It's not just a climate crisis. It's like a symptom. The crisis is the crisis of life itself. It's the crisis of biocultural diversity. We are in the sixth great extinction in the history of life on this planet. It is the most rapid in pace, thousands of years rather than millions. It has the most potential to be the most complete, most potential to be the most complete. And it's the only one ever caused by a single species. Yeah. Sex. <laughs> Um, and folks might have heard um, a couple weeks ago, early May, there was a report released by the, like a whole, I don't know, 650 scientists across the world through the UN on the crisis of biodiversity. Um, and, um, and they said um, this thing that Native peoples and peoples all over have been saying, you know, that MG was kind of started to help to spread the word in our movements about which is human society is in jeopardy from the accelerating decline of the Earth's natural life support systems. Right, so all the life support systems. We're talking about one million species at risk of extinction. We're talking about the biomass, like the, the actual bodies, right, of wild mammals having fallen already by 82%. Kind of like, this idea that there will be no charismatic megafauna <laughs> left, right? People know what that means, like that, you know, the lions, the elephants, the giraffes, like the, the beautiful species that our babies think about when they read bedtime stories, right? That remind us of where we come from. Um, natural ecosystems having lost half of their area, um, the pollinator loss, right? Bees, um, half of the earth's topsoil has been lost in the last 150 years, and then um, water, right? The crisis of water, um, and that water is life. And yet we put everything from sunscreen and cosmetics with microplastics and birth control pills and pharmaceuticals and bleach and cleaning products and industrial pollution, right? All of that just goes into the 1% of water that we have available to us. 70% of the planet is water, right? And only 1% of that is available as fresh water. A lot of that is locked up in glaciers, which are now melting, but not necessarily making them more available to us, right? Um, and then we're polluting a bunch of that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and then I, I just, I want to say, like, um, so that's biodiversity, and then critical to that is by, is, is cultural diversity, or what we would say biocultural diversity, and by that, I mean, um, I mean, like, the encoding of our ability, like, our relationships as human communities to that life. Right, which is not from the perspective of like that, you know, that picture, that famous picture of like when the, the first man on the moon shot a picture from up there of planet Earth and like that created Earth Day and, you know, that kind of thing, right? Like, no, actually, the perspective has to be like from the places that you live, <laughs> looking out into the universe and seeing the vastness, right, from that place that is different totally different on any spot on the planet, right? The way the bend in the river nuzzles against the hillside and the curve of the land and the buzz of the insects in the spring and the wind direction from summer to fall, right? Um, and, and language is part of what encodes that relationship songs, stories, very specific words, right? I remember talking to a, um, um, a friend of mine who spoke Mandarin 
when after we both had given birth to our second kids and she was like, you know, in my language, there's 33 words for melancholy. <laughs> I was like, damn, I need those words. <laughs> I feel some different kind of way every day like that. Right. So, and yet, um, the planet stands to lose 90% of living languages within one generation, right? From 6,000 to 600. Um, and it's critical to name that this is like indigenous peoples, right? Indigenous peoples account for 80 to 90% of our like, of like the world cultural diversity encoding our capacity to live in right relationship to those places and okay and yet every 14 days a language dies yeah um so we're in the midst of a transition right that's clear and um the question is will it be just and the way we know that is like who leads is going to determine both where it lands and how it goes. Right. So who we like bet on <laughs> to use that language, right. Um, where we invest our resources, attention, love, like capacity um, um, is going to inform like who's going to lead this transition. Right. Um, and so the solutions then from like an internationalist, anti-imperialist perspective, I think like the first is we fight for what we love, right? We fight for what we love. And I've learned this, I mean, mainly from the fact that um, indigenous peoples uh, everywhere, um, especially in the last five years, like on this, on Turtle Island, but like his historically, of course, always, um, but also from La Via Campesina, um, which is like an international peasants movement, you know, movement of movements, um, um, is like the number one thing is restore native sovereignty. That's the number one solution to the climate crisis and the crisis of biocultural diversity, restore native sovereignty. And then, and we saw this, like, I was, super powerful when that Seattle action happened, remember, um, during the beginning of BLM and the Bernie Sanders campaign, and folks got up and took the mic, and the first thing they did was, um, uh, was recognize the unceded land upon, like, whose unceded land that was, right, and declare sovereignty, or, like, declare their allegiance to that sovereignty, not this flag, right? Um, and then, and then deeply rooting in place, like for those of us that aren't native to the places that we live, um, how do we deeply root in place in right relationship, including like right relationship to the peoples whose lands we're on, right? Um, and then, um, uh, I think like, I mean, the main thing is like, if we're going to shift from an economy that is whose purpose is about the concentration and control, like the ever increasing enclosure of wealth, any wealth that's created, like how can we grab that, right? Your couch is free, how can we Airbnb that? Your car is free, how can we lift that, right? Um, how can we profit and extract off of all the things that people, earthworms, beavers, like all the living beings create, right, through their work? Um, and as the margins get thinner, as the margins get narrower, then that's going to get scarier and scarier, right? The way they, they, the ways that they find to extract. Um, and so um, instead of that increasing concentration and control that is the purpose of this extractive economy, we have to shift to forms of economy in which the purpose is sacredness caring and whole like whole systems well-being right ecological and um yeah ecological systems well-being right the rerouting of people in right relationship to place um and so um 
we think about like some of the strategies of that are reinvestment, reparations, um, and just like give it back, like restoration, right? And, and also the tools and skills sets, right, that are required to restore then habitats and waterways and food sheds and trade sheds and even know what those should be, right? We have these like political borders instead of knowing our ecological boundaries. Yeah, we have for reals. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> thanks, Adrian. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so th that is really like the number one task of our time is to restore human communities, reflective, responsive relationship to place. Let's take that back because that's what they've stolen. I mean, that's one of the many things they've stolen, right? Um, stealing people from place, stealing places from people. And in that, the cultural genocide that, in, you know, of those cultures that encode our capacity to live in right relationship to place, to keep them going for seven generations beyond, rooted in seven generations before of, of like that knowledge, right? Um, so I think for us, like one of the ways we think about this is like permanently organized communities, like all of our organizing has to be driven towards fostering permanently organized communities, right? Whether we're fighting prisons or we're, or we're fighting detention centers or the borders themselves or, you know, economic justice, like whatever it is, how are we organizing people? to retake economy, to restore our own sovereignty and self-determination of our bodies, right? Of our labor, which is not just our brawn or our like the, the head without the heart, right? But actually fully embodied human labor that is about like getting to make decisions. Like that's real democracy, right? As like, how does this feel when I do this? Does it feel good or does it feel shitty, right? And if it feels shitty, it's probably not a good thing for the other person, the land, whatever, right? That's like deep democracy. And that's what we have to move towards. So what I want to ask you now is, you know, the people who listen to our show um, you know, it's called How to Survive the End of the World. Mm -hmm. And we're really oriented towards what are, like, you know, we, we've, we've really split, right? We're like, we could go in the route of like very technical skills. Uh, you know, here's how you grow things. Here's mm -hmm. how you do stuff. And we're really considering developing a toolbox yeah. around that and would love to talk with y'all about that. Um, and Autumn and I have both really felt like we need to understand how to feel into and talk about and like, what are the things we need to be concerned mm -hmm. with? But there are a lot of people who come who love emergent strategy or love consensus work that Autumn has done or love what Aorta is up to or love, mm -hmm. like there's organizers who are coming from a lot of different paths into listening to our shows. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a lot of other people like artists and, you know, just there's all kinds of folks who are listening. Yeah. So I would love if you could give us some like, here's some, here's some steps, right? So if you are already an organizer with an organization, here's, here's where to, you know, here's the next move. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're an individual who's not yet tied into an organization, which I really think the, that permanent, permanent organizing structure is so important to find your way into yeah. a community. So then what do you do if you're in that space? And then even <clears throat> if you're like, I'm an artist, I don't necessarily think of myself as an organizer mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm out here living my life. I'm an architect or something, mm -hmm. you know, it, you know, do I just go along for the ride? Like, how do I how can I meaningfully contribute mm -hmm. to this moment? Right on. Yeah. So the way I think about transition is like everything needs to shift. Yes. Yeah. So wherever you are, there's a role for you. Yeah. And historically, our movements have done best when we um, support people in whatever hats they wear yeah. and whatever roles they're playing in the current system and yes. society. They figure out like we, we need to figure out like what's the way for me to like how do I think about transitioning either this industry or this way of relating to each other or, um, you know, any of that. So in South Africa where, you know, it's like exactly. sectors of society, if you're a young person, here's a way to jump yes. in. If you're an engineer or a, you know, exactly. taxi driver, 
Um, and so that's the first thing is just like think about like where you are and what and, and learn and study and talk with other people that do that work with you um, use the organizing structures that you've already set up yes. you know whether it's even like lunch break groups and brown bags or <laughs> right. um, um, and then if you are already or um, if you're already part of an organization, which includes unions, right? I think yes. unions can be a really critical place for workers to get organized around how we transition. Yeah. Um, and one of the, um, you know, one of my teachers in a way was, um, came from um, the oil and chemical atomic workers. Oil, let's just say that again. Oil, chemical, and atomic workers wow. union, OCAW, in Los Angeles wow. in the 90s. Tony Mazaki was a leader of that union and forged some of the first like just transition strategies and frameworks as he saw like it's messed up right i don't know if we can say can we say fucked up we can say fucked up (laughs) michelle i especially want to hear you say fucked up it's it's fuckery right that our people are placed in these jobs that is like just you know um destroying their bodies their lungs their children have asthma on the outside of the fences like um, all of these things for a job, a yeah. job, right? Yes. And that's the only way we're allowed to live is if that's we right. do those kinds of that kind of work. And right. and Tony Mazaki saw like, oh no, it's not the workers that should have to bear the brunt of closing these industries down. We need the workers to actually lead what a vision can be for transitioning these industries um, out, right? That's right. And and that continues to be, I think, part of, you know, a just transition vision is like, how can the workers in the refineries, in the coal mines, you know, be a part of envisioning what they want for their communities and then designing those things and taking their skill sets, you know, pipe fitters can become um, whole new, like, like. Um, gray water plumbers, you right. know, and, and support training up a whole new generation of that's right um, of folks. I think it's so important to I want to po- like just deepen into that moment of like that folks we think of as workers. <clears throat> you push the door post. That folks you th- we think of now as like workers often are not also people we think of as visionaries, right? Mm-hmm. And that it's like oh, if you're a worker, you're just a worker. You're right. just a cog in someone else's wheel. Versus oh, I'm a worker. I'm the reason that the world can move. That's I'm the right. reason that everything can happen. Right. How do I want to, you know, it's like, because I think that there's so much we can learn from people yeah. who are like, I use my body and my mind and my life to change the world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I do all the time. Like, and, and the, the workers are visionaries or can be, yeah. should be invited into that's being right. visionaries. So I love that aspect of yeah. this transitional moment for, that y'all are guiding us and leading us in. Right on. Yeah, and then just to continue with that, yeah. I mean, artists have been already such a um, vital um, source of like wisdom and yeah. spreading yeah. through culture, um, messaging, memes, like yes. lessons yeah. from what we're all learning around yeah. um, principles of ecology and how yeah. that connects to the kind of campaign, like not just campaigns, but the kind of movement building that we want to do yeah. around divesting from prisons and winning abolition. Yes. Like, Exactly. Those kinds of connections exactly. around um, need to continue to be made, and we don't need them to be in 20-page like articles necessarily. Exactly. So that's been a really powerful way for artists to, pl- to connect. And, exactly. And um, would love to have just more of that. That's um, great. And then um, the other thing is, like, um, I mean, if you're a teacher, if you're a child care worker, if you're an organizer, like look at the stuff that's out there on just transition yeah um and then like figure out how to how to use it and talk about it with your base yeah right we need more like translations in a way um and interpretations of of this way of thinking and this new worldview of like we're in a moment of transition and the question is is it going to be just right 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 and so which i think is so important it's like I think this is the piece, and you'll hear it, you hear it in the training, you tell it so many times, and like it's the piece that shook me the hardest, is like, there's a certain amount of what is coming to us that like, no matter what, you know, if we were yeah. all to just like tomorrow, yeah. get turn everything, everything off, in right relationship, right. turn it off, like throw away our phones, whatever, there's still the, the tale of what we've been up to That's for the right. last 40 years, particularly that is going to now shift what our future and our children's and children's children's futures look like. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that piece is so important to me that it's like putting our heads in the sand, you know, like kind of ostriching out like, well, 
it's yeah. too overwhelming. Fuck it. I can't do anything about it. It's like, whether you think you can or can't do anything about it, this is coming mm-hmm. and it's going to mm-hmm. barrel through your life, you yeah. know, and it's going to change the conditions that you think you're used to. Yeah. So it's like, that's going to happen anyway. And I think of that Audrey Lord talks about, you know, you're going to be afraid anyway. You might as well speak. You might mm-hmm. as well do something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so much of y'all's invitation is like, mm-hmm. this transition is going to happen anyway. Yeah. We might as well fight as hard as we can for it to be just and to put ourselves amongst the people who will survive it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so last thing um, is what brings you joy mm-hmm. um, inside of the movement generation work, inside of like the, the groups that you're getting to com- mm-hmm. support, um, you know, what you're bringing to people is such hard truth. Mm-hmm. And then I see so much joy mm-hmm. in you and in how you move in community and how you are with people and your own children and others. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. what brings you joy? What, cult- what do you, how do you cultivate that in mm-hmm. your life? Yeah. I mean, I'm almost, I'm tearing up thinking yes. about like, <laughs> We just got back from a trip um, to Buffalo, New York, Mm -hmm. where we took our whole crew. There were 14 of us that rolled deep, you know, with babies and um, partners to take care of kids and, you know, all of that. And so I think that's like number one is like building containers of safety, dignity and belonging is the number one way to cultivate joy and life Um, and seeing each other in that and through struggle and yes. through um, conflict and all of that, um, just the love, right? Um, and then that, being able to like bring that into other spaces where folks are doing such powerful work yeah. and see um, the beauty and the struggle and the totally different context that folks are, are, are in and faced with yes. and, and what they bring to that, right? Um, has been really powerful. So I think that, yeah. like, just relationship is yeah. so joyful, right? Yes. We can do it well. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to be in a relationship with you. I'm so grateful for all your brilliance, and thanks for making time for this. Can I, um, can I give people, like, a plug? Oh, yeah. So how can people find out more? <laughs> I always forget. I'm like, this is why I'm not an actual reporter. Um, so how can people find out more about Movement Generation? And also... Um, how can people support Movement Generation? Because I feel like what y'all are doing is crucial. Like anyone who wants to stay alive on the planet should be donating mm. to support the work also. So like how do people find out more? Mm-hmm. How do people get involved in the work you're doing? And how can people support it? Right on. Yeah, so um, check out our website, of course, just movementgeneration.org. We right. have an Instagram, a, mm. um, Facebook page. So um, follow those. Sign up for our listserv. Right. Um, donate on the web and the website um also follow the climate justice alliance Uh um, which is um the like one of the most crucial alliances we um we are part of and and support to build a frontline rooted trans local movement that's taking this vision and um and implementing it um and then if you're an artist or you're putting stuff out, like tag it with the hashtag just transition so we can uh-huh. follow each other and just like be on the same page um, across communities and across struggles. Excellent. That's beautiful. Thank you so yeah. much. Love you. Love you too, Adrian. Thank you. Yay! We did it. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. If you're moved by how to survive the end of the world, we invite you to become a sustainer of our work. There's no amount that's too low to be a contribution to helping us be able to pull this off. And you can give to us at patreon.com slash end of the world show. There might be an amount though that's too low to like give. Like if you try to if you try to do like a negative amount, then like you can't. Right. You know that. what? I never thought about that. Yeah. I, all you negative givers. Yeah, don't do You're that. takers. <laughs> <laughs> don't just be a taker. Another helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're an iPhone person, uh, thanks for doing that. This podcast is produced and edited by the Giving Tree himself, Zach Rosen. <laughs> Music for today's show is from Tunde Alaniran and Mother Cyborg. And for our little Marvel comic thing today. Hold on. It's not the Marvel comic thing. It's the Marvel movie thing. Right. What, it, what is that thing called? What's it called? An egg? I call it a hanging chad. 
that's definitely that's not, not what anyone else that's wants to call it, it. <laughs> um i feel like it's like um it's like a teaser it's, it's a teaser like a, it's a, it's a golden teaser egg for teaser thing i bet there's an official name for that though there like is when it's like actually i'm just gonna look it up right now okay Hold so while you're looking oh, you it up i'm that. just gonna say what it is which i think this one should be uh, a little secretive practice that you can do um, that I've been doing that really helps me with just getting your apocalypse cycle of hope and hopelessness and fear in, in alignment with the moon. So at each new moon, um, committing yourself, planting the seed for some practice you want to do that gets you in right relationship with um with the coming apocalypse, whether it's a shift in your behavior, adding to your recycling practice, adding to your compost practice, um, or reaching out and finding your permanent organizing community to build with around these issues. And for each full moon, offering up some of the stress, some of the overwhelm, some of the terror that you might have to the moon to hold and to offer it up as a way to let it go so that you're still, that you can feel all of it, but still be able to do your work. Uh, Because right now we don't have the privilege as Toni Morrison talks about, we don't have the privilege um, to be so scared that we can't act. So that's the I mean, invitation. I have to say, oh, oh, <clears throat> is it called an egg? Easter eggs. <gasps> oh my God. I knew it was an egg. <laughs> mm. I was sitting I'm here doing thinking the dance. like mm. there's not actually the a little thing, egg dance. All mm. these articles, the I just dance. say end credit scene or post credit scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this article is like, blah, 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 blah. These films are known for their mind blowing action. They're this, that, and they're Easter eggs. This almost feels like we gave people oh, wait. two Easter egg. eggs. Oh, and this says, while the eggs are sprinkled throughout the course of each film, you can always count on one place you'll find them. So I think the Easter egg the Easter egg idea can refer both to Ooh. what's happening at the end of the credits, ah. but also things that are dropped inside of the movies. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is like a whole it's other a whole situation. Like part of I'm just trying to be cool, basically. It's yeah. just like, I, there's this cool thing that happens and I want us to be part of it. <laughs> we are part of it. <laughs> okay. Well, bye guys. Bye.